...concern to convey its vitality. If this has led to some unscholarly or even controversial decisions, I at once plead the conventional excuse of the translator, that it is sometimes impossible to keep both to the letter and the spirit of another language. Where I have struck an intractable problem, I have chosen to serve the latter rather than the former. Many decisions perhaps require a little explanation, but here I wish to be brief and will examine only the most important, my choice of the word bard. I have used bard to translate dilareare from the speech. It means literally star people. With its particular resonance of artistic mastery and spiritual authority, dilareare has no real equivalent in our language. I also considered the fact that in the Anaran language, dille was the verb to sing or to chant, and this bilingual pun led to the popular designation of the dilareare as singers of the gift. Bard seemed the most transparent and useful word available to me in English for imputing political, social, and cultural status to those it describes. The danger of using the term is, as has been pointed out, its inevitable associations with Irish and Welsh traditions. Bards in Edil Amaranth held a very different political place and power to the bards in these later societies. There is, however, an intriguing foreshadow of their later decadent status as courtly chroniclers and flatterers in Gilman's employment of the bard Merlad at the beginning of the story. In Anaran society, this position would have been considered well beneath the dignity of a Dilarearan, and the present-day eclipse of poets, whom we presume to be their contemporary descendants, would have been well-nigh unthinkable. There are many people to whom I owe my thanks, and I can mention only a few here. Nicholas, Varian, Jan, Richard, and Celeste Crogan read the manuscript at an early stage, and their generous responses encouraged me greatly. Thanks are also due to Dan Spielman for his enthusiastic advocacy of the project, and to Sophie Levy of Corpus Christi College, Cambridge, for illuminating some of the more obscure aspects of bardic social life during many fascinating conversations. I am grateful also to Alphonse Collorge of the Department of Comparative Literature, Université Paris, Cartes, Sorbonne, for invaluable advice on some nuances of translation, and to David Berkhamshaw for suggestions on the prosody of the poems, which was often very difficult to render in English. Lastly, but by no means least, I would like to thank my husband, Daniel Keane, for his unfailing support, his acute comments on some tricky questions of Anna and syntax, and also for proofreading the manuscript, and my editor, Suzanne Wilson, for her excellent and painstaking counsel on all aspects of this book. Any remaining faults and mistakes are, naturally, solely my own. Alison Crogan, Melbourne, Australia Gilman's Cot. Speak to me, fair maid. Speak and do not go. 
What sorrows have your eyes inlaid with such black woe? My dam is buried deep, dark are my father's halls, and carrion fowl and wolves now keep their ruined walls. From The Lay of Andomian and Berold Chapter One Escape For almost as long as she could remember, Myrad had been imprisoned behind walls. She was a slave in Gilman's cot, and hers was the barest of existences, an endless cycle of drudgery and exhaustion and dull fear. Gilman's cot was a small mountain hamlet beyond the borders of the wide lands of the inner kingdom of Anar. It nestled at the nape of a bleak valley on the eastern side of the mountains of Anova, where the range split briefly.